0: Hello, and welcome to the Break the Internet edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. There's a bill that was quietly making its way through Parliament that will change the rules for some of the most popular digital companies in Canada. Think YouTube, Netflix, and Spotify. The government wants the same rules that apply to legacy broadcasters to also apply to streaming services. Seems sensible enough. But the devil is in the details, and my guest today is concerned about what he sees. And you should be too. I'm joined today by Michael Geist, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa, and one of the leading experts on this proposed legislation. This is Political Traction. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Michael. Um, I've been sort of following this story remotely, but it, it, it pretty much kind of exploded into the headlines in the last week, um, you know, due to an amendment, uh, or rather like the removal of a clause and then some amendments that's kind of some at, at committee. So I would love for you to just, You know, for all of us listeners who kind of pay attention to this stuff, but maybe aren't into the thick of it as you are as an expert, could you maybe just like step back and just kind of explain what's happened? I know that the liberals had introduced Bill C-10. The initial purpose was to regulate sort of Netflix major streaming stuff, take them into their, And then all of a sudden there was a clause to exempt your folks like me who have, you know, like a couple hundred followers on Instagram and all of a sudden that clause is exempt and everyone is sort of losing their minds. So maybe take us behind the scenes a little bit and what's happened the last week and why all of a sudden this story's exploded onto the headlines.
1: Yeah, sure. No, and, and you're right. I mean, I think it starts with a piece of legislation that, you know, I think there's reason to debate about Bill C-10 and its approach. Uh, I've been critical of it really almost since it's been introduced. <laughs> I think it raises some significant concerns, even leaving aside what we saw this week. But what we saw this week happens when you take an approach, as this bill does, that essentially says that, well, everything can be broadcasting. We're going to bring the entire internet into our existing broadcasting system, which is effectively what C10 tries to do now. It tried to limit the scope to say what we really want to target are those large streaming services. And so it started off by excluding all the user-generated content, saying that's not really what we're after here. So there were specific exceptions, two of them. One that accepted individuals when they broad, when they post user generated content and saying they're not broadcasters they're not the equivalent of a CTV or uh, a CBC I suppose uh, what we the the second exception related to their content their programming so they said we don't regulate them as broadcasters we also don't regulate their content as a program that would otherwise be regulated under the Act. And then at committee, to I think to the surprise of just about anybody who's been following this, the government took the step of removing one of those two exceptions, specifically the one with respect to programming. So they said, listen, we're not going to call a million TikTok users to Gatno to have to appear before the CRTC.
0: <laughs> be long yeah, dancing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they would be. But- What we are going to do is require the CRTC or give the CRTC the power to regulate all of those TikTok videos, all of those Instagram posts, all of the podcasts as programs under the act. And so I think for a lot of people that was like, whoa, um, we're comfortable with some amount of Internet regulation, but you're totally offside if your approach is going to be to basically regulate the speech of millions of Canadians who use this as their communication tool every day
0: so this is a pretty politically savvy government i mean i we've watched them stick handle i think the vaccine stuff fairly well i mean you could argue the stuff with with minister sergeant and and the you know the dnd stuff i think is one of their stumbles but why like why why do this politically i mean it's gone from kind of an issue where i think like understandably folks such as yourself were down into it i was somewhat paying attention to it but all of a sudden now everybody's like wait a minute you're gonna regulate my TikTok, you're gonna look at my instagram like why rouse Canadians on this? Like, why would they? Why would the government do this?
1: Well, I mean, I think with hindsight they wouldn't have done it, and I think it was <laughs> a mistake. But, uh, and I think if they were honest about it, they'd suggest they'd they'd acknowledge that it's that it was a, a mistake in strategic judgment, at least. I mean, I think the the why is that you've got a minister in Guibault whose view is that you know the source of just about all evil when it comes to uh, so many things in the cultural world are the large technology companies, the so-called web giants or web behemoths, he's even gone so far as to call them. And so I get the sense that his view is that you can do no wrong when you regulate or take them on. He's much happier running against Facebook and Netflix than he might be against some others. So um, I think they didn't think that there was going to be much of a response to any of this. As you say, not many people are paying much attention. And even the opposition parties up until now Uh, haven't been lining up to criticize in a significant way this legislation, but uh, they overstepped. And, you know, by failing to appreciate that the smallish cultural community that might have the ear of the heritage minister is not necessarily reflective of broader Canadian society and where people really are when it comes to the internet and the services that they rely upon. I think they've made a major, major gaffe, and you know th- there may be efforts to try to wind the clock back a little bit, but I think for many, they will recognize that this is part of a broader move towards massive new regulation when it comes to the internet in Canada, and I'm not sure that a lot of people are all that comfortable with the direction the government wants to take.
0: And your point about the minister to me is is very like very important, right? Because I, their Melanie Jolie was the previous minister in this portfolio and seemed to take more of a a cheerleader, you know, we can boost Canadian content. We don't need to like protect it as like we need to protect it, but not to this degree. Whereas we see Minister Gibault come in and he's taken a much more like pugilistic approach with the big tech, which fair enough, running against Facebook probably will actually, you know, do some benefit to, to the government to a certain extent, as long as we're not running against individuals using it, which seems to be where they're going. But some folks have even said just because of he's a Quebec he's very much in is, is a Quebec MP um he's steeped in Quebec culture understandably and culturally there it like there's much more protectionist approach to content because they protected the French language so do you think some of that approach is spilling over into the general feel for this file and that's why we're seeing such a, like a much more aggressive stance from this minister as opposed to the previous one
1: yeah I think that's a it's a it's a good observation you know the I think the the cultural file has has long been Quebec dominated in many respects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've i often been struck when you get into sort of town halls or some of the different regulatory environments over the last 20 years, just how distinct, so to speak, the, the view of culture is in the kind of almost it's really almost a Toronto, Quebec corridor where, you know, there are people who believe that success and regulation are inextricably linked, that the way you succeed in the cultural sector is to have the government intervene as much as possible with as much regulation as possible. And anytime you get into discussions with sort of newer generations, who people who are leveraging the TikToks and YouTubes of the world and finding enormous success doing it, frankly, many of the Western creators out in Vancouver and in Alberta this vision of what it takes to succeed from a cultural perspective is just isn't one that they share. In fact, I, they often find it's completely unrecognizable with their lived reality. And you know, I mean, think, I th- frankly think the data supports supports them. You know, and you know, the this bill, the starting point for this bill is to suggest that there's a crisis in Canada that unless we force companies like Netflix to make mandated contributions. Canadian content will cease to exist. I mean, we've effectively had the minister and some of the supporters make that kind of claim. When when you look at the data, the reality is that at least pre-COVID, There was never more spending on film and television production in Canada than there is now. There was never more spending on Canadian content for film and television production than there is right now. There's never been more employment in the sector than there is right now. There is no crisis. And this notion that this might all go away someday, so we need to regulate it, uh, you know, has currency with a certain sector, but I don't think it reflects broader Canadians and the price that you pay. In the sense that we're seeing this price being paid now by essentially saying we have to extend this regulation now potentially to millions of Canadians is a pretty big price to be paid and one that I think many say that they're not willing to pay.
0: And as you've watched this debate evolve, um, most recently, the NDP of Jagmeet Singh sort of left the door open to say, you know, we'd be willing to support this, we want to fight against big tech, um, the block kind of made notions around well we want to protect individual expression but if there's an exemption or an amendment to say that like me and you are okay then I'm okay with this the conservatives are obviously currently opposed um because they're big you know fighting for free speech as, as they they're they're championing themselves do you think this bill's going to proceed as is if they have them or do we think that the outcry from average Canadians who are now worried that the government's going to reach in and tell them uh, their TikToks are not okay, or you know this podcast needs more Canadian content um, is enough to, to have the government put the brakes on.
1: Well, I think at a minimum, this this legislation faces some speed bumps that it didn't before, right? I mean, and that's in some ways just stating the obvious, but this legislation, which as was off the radar screen for many and was sort of slated to kind of just continue on its path, come into the House, you'd get some pro forma speeches and before you know it would be passed and i know that many people who were concerned with this legislation even people frankly who are supportive of some of its intent but were of the view that when you're dealing with foundational legislation dealing with broadcast that quite literally gets changed in this case every almost every 30 years yeah it deserves a far more extensive review and thoughtful analysis than what we've seen to date i mean what we've seen so far at committee. Has been a bit of a clown show. And even the hearings leading up to this just didn't include so many of the stakeholders, so many of the expert opinions that this can't credibly be said to have been the kind of review that you'd want to see. And so I think there were some that were saying, well, maybe the Senate will provide some of that. And, and you know, who knows? But at a minimum, what I suspect the government thought was going to be a good news story. Is uh, suddenly now that we'll, is going to require a considerable amount of political capital. And for many, I think they recognize that this is just something that they don't support in light of just how far the government has veered towards regulating what takes place online.
0: How would you do it differently? If you were in the minister's office advising him, what would you tell him? How, what would you tell them to do?
1: Well, I, I think they're doing digital policy and tech all wrong right now. Uh, I think that there are concerns when it comes to the big platforms. I think everybody thinks there are big concerns when it comes to big platforms. And unfortunately this government isn't doing anything about the real problems. And so we get these fake problems about, boy, we need some more money in the system at a time when there's never been more money in the system. Um, or we get proposals for other sorts of legislation that seems to be delayed as well around harms or the newspaper related issues. Fundamentally, the core issues, I think, when we're dealing with these platforms is we are concerned or we ought to be concerned about the data they collect about us. We ought to be concerned about the algorithms they use and the lack of transparency associated with those algorithms. We ought to be concerned about uh, that whether or not they're paying their fair share from a tax perspective. And we ought to be concerned about whether or not they're being any competitive. Where are they using their very powerful position to leverage that position in an uncompetitive way? The government is doing practically nothing on any of these issues. And so, for example, notably on algorithms on privacy, we had a bill, Bill C-11, was introduced just a couple of weeks after Bill C-10, um, and it's gone absolutely nowhere. It was introduced by then Minister Nathie Baines. He's no longer the minister. The new minister, Champagne, seems completely disinterested in innovation and completely disinterested in privacy. It's hard for me to reconcile government saying they're concerned about digital issues and not move forward on privacy. They haven't moved forward on algorithms. And so if I'm advising the minister, I'd say, well, let's start doing those issues. And frankly, if we want to get money from Netflix, if we want to get money from Google and Amazon, make them pay taxes. You don't have to blow up the Broadcasting Act to get more support from Netflix. All you've got to do is ensure that the tax code is set up in such a way to ensure that they pay their fair, fair, fair share and you can take the resulting revenues, if you like, and spend it any way you want, including putting it to support cultural sector.
0: One of the uh, big cre- pieces of criticism is this is not updating CanCon in any way. So right now, um, I, I believe it's you that actually put this out there, but, um, you know, it it funds documentaries about the Kennedys, but, you know, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale doesn't qualify. Um, do you expect... I mean, I think I'm guessing updating CanCon would be like opening a massive can of worms in addition to regulating people's TikTok content. Um, But like the last time it was updated was 1984. Do we expect, is it realistic to expect that? Or do you think that's just something that no governments want to deal with?
1: Well, I guess I would say a couple of things. First, I think if you don't deal with it, then you're not really dealing with one of the core issues associated with all of this, right? There's this, there's this fantasy that somehow the way you tell Canadian stories is tell the is tick the right boxes under our current CanCon system. At a time when, as you may know, I, I did an online quiz that put out 20 different productions and asked people to guess whether or not they was Canadian or not. And It's pretty tough to do very well, because what you find is that there's this wide array of content that you think is Canadian that isn't, uh, you know, whether it's Trailer Park Boys produced by uh, Netflix or Kids in the Hall is being produced by Amazon or a whole range or even uh, Just a Clan, the, the Quebec-based film that Netflix actually paid for that's got all Canadians involved. None of that counts as Canadian because our rules also say that if you're the ultimate owner and you're not Canadian, then it actually can't be Canadian. Uh, so we've excluded a whole bunch of stuff that actually does search or feel like telling a Canadian story. And at the same time, we've got all sorts of stuff where Toronto looks a lot like New York and so it's a generic cop drama or courtroom drama and suddenly it ticks the right boxes or even worse, you get programs that come in under what are known as co-production deals with other countries and the amount of Canadian content there, Canadian involvement can be tiny. And yet, because we've got this treaty, it qualifies as Canadian as well. So this system is simply broken. It doesn't tell Canadian stories. It's been a bit of a third rail so far for governments to want to deal with. I have it on reasonably good authority that the government is planning to put forward, An amendment that does touch a little bit on this CanCon issue, but it actually continues to highlight some of the real challenges of not drilling down into it. They're going to include in all likelihood an amendment that speaks specifically to the kinds of things the CRTC should consider is CanCon. This is a way for them to deal with the issue of who owns the intellectual property. That sounds good in theory until you realize we've got a trade agreement that creates limitations on what you can do in this regard, if you discriminate against certainly large US companies. And this very idea of telling large companies, well, we want you to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in Canada, but you can't own the stuff that you've actually funded isn't the sort of thing that it's going to entice many investors to want to to play ball in this country. And what you're going to end up with is the big players, big, big players, I suppose, who are doing well in Canada will kind of just say, fine, we're going to find a way to make it work. Many other services are simply going to say, Canada is not a jurisdiction I want to operate in. And Canadians are going to lose a lot of choice. Canadian creators are going to lose a lot of platforms that might otherwise be interested in some of their content uh, because we've set ourselves up as... As sort of the internet regulatory capital of the world, increased costs and actually decreased consumer choice.
0: And we and just to pick up on that, we have seen cases where, for example, in Australia, with with news like Google basically said, "We're going to pick up our ball and go home." Like we're not fine. You guys want to regulate us like this? If the government proceeds with this regulation, are we realistically in a place where the like TikToks or Snapchat, like all these things, could take? could take a pass and say, you know what, this is too cumbersome for us? Or do you think that is just brinksmanship and that we're enough of a market, they'd want to be here?
1: Well, of course, there's elements of brinksmanship, to be sure. (laughs) I think, you know, I think players that are successful here, have a large presence, have already invested heavily in Canada, are going to be loath to leave the country. That said, I do think that the kind of investment that they have been making up until now gets put on hold. Uh, for a period of time until some of these issues sort, sort themselves out. You know, the minister has made this, frankly, just absurd claim that this is all going to get sorted out within this year and that people are going to start seeing money almost immediately. Anyone who knows anything about CRTC processes, much less the prospect of appeals, knows that creators aren't going to see a dime coming out of this legislation for at least five years. And so the, the what will happen, I suspect, for many players is during this period of uncertainty, at a time when we don't know if it's going to pass, but let's say all this does pass, and then you kick it to the CRTC, and then you get all these hearings, then you get appeals, then the CRTC has, does rehearings, There are going to be many that say, well, if we don't know if our investments are going to count for the purposes of your new regulation, we're going to put some of those investments on hold because we're not double paying, we're not investing and then having to invest even more because you decided that what we invested in, in the first place doesn't count. So I think those players start putting on hold, potentially some of their investments.
0: Like as you describe that CRTC process, I think it's important for listeners to understand. Yes, this is a bill, but in fact it doesn't contain the specifics of how this would be regulated, right? They're actually literally going to kick it to the CRTC to then flesh all of this out so we we are debating like the principles of it but the actual like in theory like this is already problematic to me I mean, honestly it sounds like a mess like if i can just be blunt it sounds like a mess but the idea that then we're going to be into a five-year process of them figuring out how to regulate this like they'll probably be lapped by the time like will the industry even look anything like it by the time they get through the regulations with crtc or is it like can they even keep up with this
1: you know the the amount of uncertainty that this government that his minister is putting into the sector is, is frankly astonishing. They put forward a bill in which so many of the hard choices were said to be forthcoming in a directive, in a policy directive coming from the government. And they didn't release that. And you had committee saying, hold on a second, how are we going to, how are we supposed to pass a piece of legislation if you haven't actually given us the other half of the legislation that speaks specifically to some of the specifics? And so unusually, they co- they acquiesced and said, OK, here's the directive take a look at the directive, there's practically nothing there. And so what ultimately happens is there is a desire, I believe, for this minister to be able to have the proverbial mission accomplished moment to say, hey, we've regulated Netflix and it's all done. And CRTC, this is your problem now. And so the the lack of guidance, the lack of specificity around who this covers is is remarkable. And in fact, part of the, the concern I've had really almost from the very beginning is that and I say this with respect. The minister has frankly misled the public on some of these very issues. He told the House of Commons there are economic thresholds in the bill. There are no economic thresholds in the bill. He told the House of Commons this matches the way they approach the approach this issue in Europe. This doesn't match the way they approach this in Europe. He said news is excluded, news isn't excluded. It's just the sheer number of claims that he's made that are inaccurate is, you know, is, is a pretty long list. And you know, I think. It's coming home to roost a little bit now that we've got this big concern around user-generated content. And once again, he's making claims, nothing to see here, no worries. And yet, frankly, any expert that takes a look at this knows full well that the implications are that the government is regulating the speech of millions of Canadians.
0: Okay. That is a big, big thing to think on, and we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, uh, Michael. We're going to move really quickly to the rapid fire round, which uh, listeners, I briefed him on right before we started. So. <laughs> He has no idea what's coming out of him. Um, so the first one is uh, Biden's address last. Uh, as we record this, there. yes yeah, last night was the first joint address to Congress. Did you catch it?
1: I didn't. I saw the Twitter discussion, and I, I think the fact I didn't dis- didn't catch it says everything you need to know about my view now of U.S. politics. I'm glad it's boring. I'm glad that I'm not paying attention to the nonsense that went on for four years.
0: Yeah, I put it on and then proceeded to stay on my. I was like on. Sp- Social media the whole time, and the previous ones I had been glued to them, right? Because you never know what Trump was mm-hmm. going to do. So I, I agree with you on that. Um, Vax Hunters Canada, what do you make? You know, you're on, you're you're in tech and, and that sort of thing. What do you make of their resurgence as the the main experts in Canadian vaccinations? Is this a great story or a story of governments leaving, uh, you know, a big hole in how we're vaccinating Canadians?
1: Well, I'm personally grateful since my daughter used them to find a spot where I was able to get the Astrazeneca vaccine. Amazing. So. Yeah, so I'm pretty happy that uh, this worked out that way. Um, I do think, you know, the fact that it's been such a poor job of rolling out, our numbers are getting better, thankfully. But I don't don't know what to say other than uh, I'm glad somebody stepped up to fill the void. But, you know, in an ideal world, we knew for a year that this was coming and it shouldn't have had to be this way.
0: Yeah, 100%. And then last one to you, uh, Netflix HQ, they announced it's in Toronto are you surprised? Is that great news for uh, Canadian producers?
1: Yes, it's great news. No, I'm not surprised. Me either. Uh, <laughs> Toronto, Toronto was kind of the obvious place to go. And yeah. as we were mentioning earlier, Netflix is already an enormous investor in this country. They already, a year or two ago, they already indicated that uh, Canada was one of the top three countries that they invest in in the world for productions. Um, you know, the irony, you mentioned Melanie Jolie earlier. Um, for all the criticism that she took, the end of the day she was able to get the company to commit to 500 million dollars over a five-year period and they did it in two Guibault should be yeah. so lucky uh, on many of these issues to see himself get that kind of revenue coming in uh, based on his legislative plans
0: okay well thank you so much michael we really appreciate you doing this i know you're tremendously busy and i'm sure i'll see you on many stories and many more shows uh talking about this and we'll catch you on Twitter. Oh, before you go, you have a podcast too. So would you like to talk about that and just give the name to listeners so they can check? Yeah, out?
1: sure. Oh, thanks for that. Sure. It's uh, called Law Bites. Uh, and it's a weekly podcast that uh, deals with uh, sort of all matters, law and tech, particularly from a Canadian perspective.
0: Perfect. So if you loved this interview, you can get lots more on Law Bites and, and download that system that's on Apple and Spotify and wherever you uh- find your...
1: Whatever your favourite podcast. Uh, Until you're think regulated you'll find out of it. <laughs> exactly. It's true. Headed for regulation near you.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Michael.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by Simon Breton, Hunter Nifton, John Gardner, Nico Waltenbury and Kimberly Draypack. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guest, Michael Geist. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.